0: We have to actually design a sustainable capital base of green energy sources. Prove to me scientifically that the world is capable of holding 8 billion people without oil. The Ty Kings podcast contains language that may be offensive to your sensibilities. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're going to talk about the economics of oil, how it shaped an empire, started a world war, influenced another one, and created the atomic age. Stay tuned and find out. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Ty Keens. Today, we're going to be talking about the economics of oil. You got it. Oil is probably the most important in the hierarchy of commodities on the planet, even higher than gold. Um, And it's very it's a very complex um, commodity in our economy. Um, So a lot of I actually was talking to somebody about, you know, the hierarchy of commodities and somebody had raised the point that gold was the highest. And I countered that with the fact that actually gold actually derives its value from energy. And that energy can come from a lot of different sources. So in the Egyptian days, that energy came from humans, most likely slavery, okay, to extract the gold, right, to extract the wealth. And of course, the wealth flowed up to the pharaohs or kings of uh, uh, Egypt or, you know, even in Rome. So it was human energy that derived uh, gold and gave gold its value, right? As a precious metal that you could look at. Um, Gold's used in a lot of um, technology today, like, um, you know, cell phones and circuitry and stuff like that. But it's all derived from energy. And in the modern day, our energy is used or created by oil. So... Human slavery no longer exists. We have economic slavery. And this is because of oil. Okay. So, oil has changed um, the face of the planet in a lot of ways. So, we've had empires throughout the ages. What's different with the empires now, and of course, we're talking about the American empire and post World War II, the Soviet Union. And now, of course, we're seeing the next rise in China um, as an empire. What's changed is these empires are deriving their energy from oil, not slavery. Um, and it's changed the dynamic in a drastic way. Um, it's, oil really was one of the causes of World War I. It influenced drastically how we fought World War II. It created the atomic age. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? It created the atomic age. That's a separate type of energy. But without the, like, oil, the, the output you get from oil, from a barrel of oil, is very economical. And in order to run a huge program like the Manhattan program in the United States required a ton of fucking energy. And that wasn't uh, humans, you know, turning a, a water wheel or, you know, pedaling on a bike to charge up a battery. Uh-uh, that's not where it fucking came from. It came from oil. So, without the, the revolution of the oil age, there would be no atomic age. So, you could say the atomic age and the oil age are inseparably linked. Um, so, that, that's been a, a big driver. Now, of course, nowadays, it's it's at the forefront of our conversations economically and environmentally. So... The big point are we're, we're seeing it in the, you know, the weather this summer in the global north is it is a confirmation that climate change is truly happening. We are in a crisis. We're seeing the beginning of it. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to get wear- worse. It's going to affect food. It's going to affect the, the things that you love to fucking get, like your cell phones. It's going to affect all those things. So all those things that we, we take for granted was from this energy age of oil. Ironically, it is going to be the, our undoing as well from a, a CO2 perspective. So the dynamics of oil are really fucking powerful right now. Despite all our climate change, you know, data, scientific research, and now seeing the crisis unfold in real time, Oil um, use is increasing exponentially. It stopped briefly for the pandem- pandemic and then went right back to business as, as usual. So, the economics of oil is a dynamic system. I was watching one of um, Doug, the MMT Macro Traders market reports, I believe, or market recap. You can check out his YouTube channel at MMT Macro Trader. Um, And he was uh, ra- raising some interesting points about, you know, what is the benefit of oil prices? Like, do oil prices going higher, you know, knock down an economy? Now, intuitively, you're going to say, of course it does, right? If if you're agreeing with me that oil is at the top of the hierarchy of commodities, because it's, if we drive our energy, our primary energy comes from oil. You know, not the 15% of green technology that hasn't offset any fossil fuels. It's just gone to more towards more growth and sustaining the fossil fuel energy uh, industry. And it's a dynamic question because a country exporting their energy, um, they are in a position of power as we move forward. So if you think Saudi Arabia, as it claims, has oil reserves left, they're a powerful country over the next 50 years. That's if you believe what their reserves are. Um, now, whereas a, a country like the United States, after the fracking re- revolution is over, which a lot of people are saying there it's already declined um, and it is over, um, the United States is going to be in particular trouble because it will become a net importer again of their energy. Canada is a different story. We are destroying our landscape with the tar sands in Alberta, so we've got a ways to go until we have to worry about that. Um, so just, I recommend you check out um, that market recap um, by Doug. It was it was pretty interesting. It kind of showed some interesting graphs re- relating to the government spending and the price of oil, and relating that to other recessions or booms in the economy. And I had commented on the video that it might be very dependent on the country um, you're in. So right now, uh, the United States is a net exporter because of fracking of oil. So it might be a benefit that prices go above 200 for them. It's actually an aggregate, right? It is a surplus for the private sector, just as much as um, Government spending is a um, surplus for the private sector. Now, for countries that are net importers, it's a different story. And then you have to look at those countries. What are they producing with uh, uh, imported oil, which is an input to what they're producing? Everything we fucking make takes an oil input, either directly or indirectly. Everything doesn't matter what alternative re- uh, energy sources are out there. It could c- come down to the transportation in a truck, right? Could be that your local power plant is an oil power plant, right? So it's just, it is, in my opinion, it's atop the hierarchy right now. And it's not fucking changing anytime soon. Not at all. That's a problem, I guess. You know, I just put out a blog and I'll put it in the description Showing you know how dependent we are on fossil fuel energy, and primarily that's all oil. Although a segment of it is is coal, Um, it's a big problem. And in fact, the longer we remain dependent on oil, the closer we get to that peak. And we may, you know, in this decade we may see peak oil. It was prolonged. So there's Hubbard's peak uh, that predicted it was in the early two thousands. We would see global peak oil. And that's supply, not demand. Um, And then the fracking revolution came along and it postponed it about a decade, a decade and a half. Most, you know, experts that I've talked to or read articles from are saying that that we are going to see peak oil in this decade. So the problem with sticking with uh, a fossil fuel technology or, or energy source like oil is it means if we uh, come to an abrupt end as uh, the Hubbard's cur- it's a bell curve like this, and we come down the other side, and for the, my podcast listeners, I just drew a curve, a bell curve with my, my hand and finger. Um, if we come down the other side, we need to go to something else. And since we're geared towards fossil fuel um, use, we're going to go to the next easiest thing. And the next uh, easiest thing is coal. So we're just going to perpetuate the problem of fossil fuel. I've argued um, in many places, and a, a guy named Harold Dezing, um, I think has a similar view as me, is that we should, with the you know, oil resources that we have left, we should use it really explicitly to build a capital base for green energy sources. See, the thing with transitioning is it's going to take massive amounts of fossil fuel energy to transition. We don't have the wind farms and solar farms and tidal um, you know, buoys in the water to support the transition to green technology, like on a massive scale, not the 15% it's set globally now, which is only, it hasn't offset our fossil fuel use. It's still growing exponentially. It's just going to more growth hasn't solved the problem. In order to actually offset the fossil fuel use, we really need to build a green energy capital base, which will take about 20 years. That's my estimate. The papers that I've seen, that's if we did a concerted effort, it would take about 20 years. During that time, to do that, it's going to take a massive amount of fossil fuel. We don't want to deplete our resource of oil you know, driving around in our cars, building our cell phones. We want to use that resource to transition to uh, green technologies um, and really also change our behaviors. So we can't drive, you know, we can't drive unless, you know, our plug-in cars are being entirely 100% recharged by renewable energy, which is a ways off, because right now, when you charge your car, you're still burning fossil fuel. You're just not doing it directly. You're just doing it in the dark. Don't get fucking fooled by that, right? Right now, you know, electric cars are a gimmick. They have the potential to revolutionize our planet in addressing CO2 emissions. But right now, they are a commercial gimmick, right? Because the way you charge your car requires fossil fuel. The way they build and manufacture these cars requires a massive amount of fossil fuel, right? You're just just rearranging where the fossil fuel use is happening, right? This is all oil, right? And it's so important. You you, You know, in my blog, which was derived from a lot of Steve Keen's work, you know, there is a tight correlation between global GDP. Okay so world gross or um, gross world product we should call it so that would be gwp and our primary energy source the rate of change is literally almost one for one it's it's a correlation coefficient i believe is 0.83 a positive 0.83 so it's almost one for one okay and our primary source of energy is oil So if we wanted to just stop today oil, which is, it's not going to happen, you know, or even just gasoline, we wanted to stop gasoline. We wouldn't reduce the amount of oil we use. And I'll tell you why. This is kind of, I'm going to digress in a bunch of different directions because oil impacts everything. When we refine oil, one of the first things that comes off at the very top, you know, if you picture um a barrel of oil, and you picture it being refined, it's distilled, it's cooked off, okay? And the first, the top, first part that's cooked off is your propanes and your butanes. The second part is gasoline, which is about 40% of a barrel of oil. Then to get down to your, your thicker oils, like heavy diesel oil, marine oil, um, you know, the thick oils, you have to burn all that stuff off, essentially, Okay, so our entire system, if we want to just get rid of a piece of oil like gasoline, we're still got to extract all that oil to burn it off or distill it would be the scientific term for it. We're in a conundrum, a really big fucking conundrum, right? We aren't building refineries anymore, right? They're just not cost effective and they last for about 30 years and they take years to design and build. Okay, so we're not, there is no time soon that we are going to convert refineries so we can avoid that distilling process where we've got to take off those top parts first. Right? You still, to get those thicker oils, you still need a full barrel of oil. Right? Right? even though you're not using 40% of that barrel of oil that goes towards gas because you got to cook it off anyways. If you're cooking off or distilling that oil or that, that gasoline, trust me, oil companies are going to want to create a market for it and sell it. Right? So that's, that's another, another area of oil that's very fucking challenging. Right? Right? Very, very uh, challenging. So, Okay. So my, my model run in this blog post, and like I said, I'll put it in the description under um, in the podcast and on the YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell, hit the like button, comment underneath the video. I always reply, whether it's good or trolly, I'm there to read and reply because I like that stuff. And the third um, run of this model I picked the most realistic option if we started today and we were serious what the most real is. It was going to require 15 years to 20 years of building our capital green base, which is going to require further exponential growth in oil use. Okay, So I ran that out. So from 2023 in this model that I built. And My paid Patreon members, they can get access to the model, but I do provide the equations and the free blog. So if you want to recreate it yourself, you could. And I ran in this exponential growth into 2040, simulating that by that point, we had had a green technology base and we can start declining our fossil fuel use, and which I did. This was the best case scenario for getting off oil. And this model, what it does is it shows the the parts per million. So you can put inputs of your gigatons and tons of carbon into the atmosphere and it'll output what the the parts per million um, of the CO2 gases in the atmosphere. And it'll also predict the global average daily high in a year of temperatures. And this was the best-case scenario, realistic scenario that I ran. And we're still going up to 2-plus Celsius above pre-industrial. This is the best-case scenario. And I think it was it peaked out our parts per million were 580. Right now, we sit at 423. So we have economic pain ahead of us. And we have environmental pain ahead of us. The reason why I don't say, and this is where I get, I have troubles with the stop oil um, movement is for one, it's just not feasible. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Two, if it did, remember how I said that energy and GDP, global GDP is correlated to a a coefficient of 0.83, positive correlation. If we turn that off, if we dropped our, our consumption of energy, we've we, we got nothing to replace it by 50%, let's say, in a year. Global GDP goes down 50% one year. Everything we do, all our, our, our production processes require the energy input. Okay? Without that input, there, there isn't, you know, okay, well, you can make half of the, the cell phone. There's just no cell phone. Or there's less of them, right? It's not like you can, with like other um, minerals and materials, you can substitute one out for the other and kind of be innovative. There is no substitute for this energy. There's none. We don't have the capital base of green power plants, whether it's, you know, wind, solar, tidal you know, hydro, which dams are a big ecological problem in themselves, and they're kind of going the way of the dinosaur anyways. If we did that, we would literally be putting half the population on the unemployment line, which might be a good thing. Maybe we can start a UBI at that point. That would justify universal basic income to keep people at home Prices for the goods that they used to buy would be through the roof or they wouldn't be produced anymore. Okay, so a lot of people argue, okay, well, the UBI is inflationary. Yeah, of course it is. In a situation like that where you're not uh, being able to purchase into a production system to create the output, yeah, it would, but that's the whole point. The only way we get out of this, the, the fast way, is we simply reduce consumption. That prices go through the roof or they're not pr- produced anymore for those products. Okay? That's if we want to stop oil consumption. But that's not realistic. That's not going to happen. And it would cause a societal breakdown. Like, democracies would fucking fall apart. They would fucking fall apart. So don't be under that illusion. That's why I'm not really with the stop oil campaign. That It's just not realistic. What is realistic, and this is where I go along with Harold Desing, and I suggest you, you Google him, look him up. He actually created a system dynamic um, model that was pretty freaking cool. He's been on the Steve Keen and Friends live stream. Um, I can't remember what episode it is, but you go to the Prof. Steve Keen YouTube channel and go look through the list of live streams and you'll find him. This very he's very interesting stuff. And So the approach is okay. We use what remaining fossil fuels we have left. Let's transition over a twenty-year period, okay? So we can get to that green capital base where our economies run on green technology. And also, moving to green technology over a twenty-year period doesn't mean, well, we just build, you know, over twenty years all these uh, wind wind turbines and solar panels. We actually have to learn how to recycle those materials because they all require mineral extraction themselves, right? And they depreciate, which then require more mineral extractions. We're not recycling solar panels very well right now. You should go look that up on Google too and you'll see what I'm saying, right? So we have to actually design a sustainable capital base of green energy sources, right? not just building these monstrosities that can produce the green energy, but them, them they themselves require tons of material extraction. We want to do that in the beginning, but we want these technologies to last or be repairable and recyclable well into the future so they truly are sustainable. So when I'm talking about that 20-year horizon, it's not just simply putting up the turbines or Up the solar panels, right? It's developing techniques so they are not depreciating and wasting away so fast that we have to extract tons of resources during the time period that we're trying to build up these, uh, the infrastructure of green technology, right? Because imagine if we're actually, by the year 15, we're actually starting to replace this capital piece that we built up. And we're replacing it with with raw resources out of the ground. And we may not have enough um, green technology at that point to extract those raw resources. So we're turning to carbon energy to do that. Fossil fuel. That's the conundrum we're in. It's so easy to say, well, we, we've got the technology, we'll just move over to it. It's a complex system with a bunch of feedbacks in it, right? And when you look at it holistically, you realize we've really put ourselves in a fucking bind here. We really should have listened to the limits of growth when, when it was published in 1970 fucking too. We really should have done that. We would have had a chance for sustainability then. You know, Dennis Meadows completely, and he he started saying this back in the 2000s, early 2000s. We passed the point of sustainability. Sustainability means we're at 8 billion people, what we're doing economically. We'll just stop here. No more growth, but we'll hold it here. We're way fucking past that. Right? And when you start just doing a mental model using a systems thinking perspective, you start seeing the issues when transitioning to green technologies. Really what what the dark secrets of that are. I'm not rejecting green technology. That is the only way forward. But I'm saying it is not an easy, easy path there because we wasted 50 years of knowledge knowing the impending crisis was gonna happen. We did nothing about it. And now we're at the point, well, we need to be sustainable. No. We need to actually reduce the condu- consumption, the carrying capacity of the planet population-wise. 8 billion people is probably too many people. I don't see it myself. Anybody in the comments, prove me wrong. You know, In the YouTube comments, you see this on social media or whatever. Prove me wrong. Prove, me, prove to me scientifically that the world is capable of holding 8 billion people um, without oil. Prove it to me, right? That's, uh, that's the, econ- the true economics of oil, not the market value. We can touch on the market value, right? If you look at it and remove all the noise um, from the year 2000 to now, you are seeing a price rise. You can discount the fact that all currencies are being devalued over time, and oil is measured on the international market in U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar has been depreciating during that time, so obviously oil increases, but it's spiked since the 2000 onwards because it's becoming harder and harder to extract. We are seeing the results of the limits to growth. Even though it did not explicitly in the limits of growth talk about oil, it implicitly, implicitly described the situation we are now seeing today in what it's, what's called the business-as-usual run they did in that month. Right? So that's the monetary economics of oil. It is going to get more and more expensive since oil is um, the input of every product right now on our planet. That means inflation. We are going to see more and more inflation. And there's nothing central banks can do to stop it. There's nothing the the governments of the planet can do to stop it. It is the reality of being dependent on the fossil fuel we call oil. Period. Right? Right? You can see it in the price of oil now. We've seen fluctuations during the great thing is there was a little test during the pandemic where Texas crude went to negative $20. I don't know. (laughs) You go talk to Doug, the MMT macro trader. He's a market guy. What the fuck happened there? I guess they were forward contracts, okay, that caused that the negative price value. Um, But it's a a kind of a positive test that really, and the environments are, you know, pollution cleared up too during the lockdowns and stuff. We could do it, but there'd be a hell of a lot of economic pain, right? We can reverse human-caused climate change. We saw it, the beginning, the tiny beginnings of it during the lockdown, the early part of the pandemic. Oil is our gold at this point. It's worth more than anything. It's not going to be like that forever because it's not going to be around forever. And that's why it's so alarming that we're at this point, 2023, and we're still 100% relying on oil. There's noise with, you know, Tesla cars, right? And, you know, the bit of green ag- energy that, you know, has just gone entirely to growth. So we can just extract more shit from the ground. But we are still 100% dependent on oil globally. I'd argue that, you know, the prosperity we've had since World War II, and we obviously, you know, America's invaded countries and other countries have had skirmishes and wars, but there's been no global war is because oil has has provided a cheap source of energy that didn't require human slavery, so we've kind of all been sleepwalking for 70 years, right? And this kind of bubble of happiness of cheap, available energy where we we, didn't, we don't have to toil you know in the ditches it's probably a a big reason why there's been a huge gap um, in, you know, conflicts. And we're starting to see that deteriorate. You know, Ukraine is an example. Um, So it's alarming that we are still dependent on that because if that goes, you know, what's to stop those global conflicts from happening right away? You know. And how do we support our infrastructure, you know, on whatever side of the conflict you're on without oil? Well, there's a war raging around you. And, you know, what happens when the biggest powers on this planet can't support their infrastructure and there's no hope and they only have one weapon they can turn to to end it? At that point, we've gone to mad. We are mad. You know, Nuclear war becomes a fear at that point. And I'm not trying to sound like an alarmist, but when you have nothing to live for because your infrastructure is declining around you because you don't have the energy to support it, plus you're facing constant conflict, desperate people do desperate things. Anyways, on that very, very fucking positive note, I'm Ty Keens. Make sure you find me on Twitter at Tykeens, LinkedIn, at Tykeens, YouTube, at Tykeens. Of course, this podcast is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, every other podcast you company thing you can think about. <laughs> I still haven't figured out the podcast structure of the world. I'm still a hardened YouTuber. so You can find that anywhere. Check me out at my website, tykeens.com. I've got models there, blogs there, a list to all my live streams, a list to all my blogs. You can also support me on Patreon. You know, I'm a day trader by day, so I make a, you know, living in the morning trading, um, and then I do all my research in the afternoon. Um, So you can always support me there. Um, There's a bunch of different pay levels, and then I provide extra models, extra blogs there, and extra insights, right, and communication. Um, you know that I I I'll put a little extra effort into the. To people that actually pay me money. Buy me a cup of coffee. Buy me a case of beer. Anyways, guys, this is always fun. This is my journal. I will see you next week. Bye-bye.